0: Welcome back to the charity matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so grateful to now be sharing their inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Today, our guest is Nadia Johnson, the founder of the Yellow Heart Committee. I'm so excited to share Nadia's incredible story and mission in helping support the mental health of trauma survivors through her work in policy, education, and community. Please join me in welcoming Nadia Johnson. I am so excited today. That we have Nadia Johnson joining us from the Yellow Heart Committee. Nadia is a nonprofit founder, a 24 year old nonprofit founder. I have to get her age in there because I'm so inspired by your youth and what you're doing to help the world. So welcome to Charity Matters. Hi. <laughs> We're so happy that you're here. And just for our audience, share a little bit about what the Yellow Heart Committee does.
1: Yeah, of course. So our mission statement is essentially that we support the holistic mental health of trauma survivors through policy advocacy, education,
0: and community outreach. I think that there's always a lot of things that happen in the process. Um, The path to starting a business or starting a nonprofit, they don't just happen. There's steps along the way. And so you are so young and I'm so impressed by you and your youth and your Commitment to helping. But I mean, tell me a little bit about growing up. Did you have a really philanthropic family? Was it your role models? Was there, was there someone in your life that, that showed you this or? Cause I just think that sometimes it's, it's a learned skill that we don't maybe realize that we were, that we were taught. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that I have always been
1: trained more so in political um, activities. And so I've always had aspirations for public office that I am one day going to be a congresswoman. It's always been a dream of mine. But I've also really enjoyed doing work and volunteering in the community because of my mom. I mean, from a young age, she always was the one that was telling me, like, you have to support others. You always have to be good to others, always help people. And so that was always in me. And it's always something that kind of brought me up. I mean, even from a young age, when I was a fifth grade, I was organizing students to get tutoring for, like, GATE program and star testing and things oh like that. And Those things my mom were, was teaching me and that I always just continued to practice. And so – I've also learned from her because she, she did have breast cancer. And so even with all that she was going through, she was always still caring and concerned about the community. And that's something I replicated. So when she passed, um, all, a few months afterwards, I ended up starting, um, an organization in my middle school, the seventh grade to raise money for uh, families with family members who have cancer. And so the whole point is to donate the money to help support anything that they're missing and also do fundraisers and things like that. And so people are always surprised, like you're 12 years old and you're like, your mom just died, but you're doing this. And I'm like, that's how my mom was like she was going mm. through adversity herself and I'm going through it now. And I know she wouldn't want me just moping around. Of course, she's going to want me to grieve. But this is how I handle my grieving is by turning it back into community service and doing things for others going forward. So, I mean, even with my own story for starting Yellow Heart, it came out of me being a survivor of trauma like I was um, a rape survivor. And so it led to. Me not wanting others to endure what I had to go through, and now I have this nonprofit with you know thirty people, volunteer staff, and interns and things like that, and it's really beautiful to just see like a tragedy turn into that.
0: And and that's what I think is so beautiful, India, is that, um, I said this to you earlier, but I do think that um, you know, bad things happen all the time. They just do. It's life. Bad things happen. People <clears throat> die. Um, we we lose people. We have horrible things happen, and and we have incredible loss with you losing your mother, with you know being a sexual assault victim, but but not everybody takes that pain and uses it as fuel for good. And and I, I know when I lost my mother, which is how we I ended up starting a nonprofit throughout of that loss. My my grief, my service healed my pain for me. And I found it really healing. Um, but I'm just fascinated by, by the human spirit and re- the resilience of people like you. A, I think your mother's watching over you and guiding you and following you and beaming with this ginormous smile down on you and the incredible work they're doing. But, but just to, to be 12 and think about that when losing your mom, I mean, that's just remarkable. Thank you. I mean, it's
1: really my parents, like they really instilled that in me. And I mean, with Yellow Heart, it's I actually if I can explain a little bit more of the background. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. So, I mean, the whole how it started really is that January 1st, 2019, I was sexually assaulted. And so I actually had to go back. It happened at home, like in my hometown, that I had to go back to school like two days later because it was winter quarter and I was graduating early from UCLA. And so I had always been a 4.0 student, always on it. And that really destroyed me. And so when I had gone to school, 72 hours after being assaulted, I actually had to give a speech on mental health and oh it was yeah I always tell people that's one of the hardest things because I'm sitting up here talking about how much better I am the what I'm doing to practice my mental health and people don't know what just happened to me 72 hours prior to wow and so I was definitely um I was trained in rape response because I was a resident assistant and so it was that whole like I know I'm a victim and that I can react, but I also know like, this is what I need to do to start the process. And so rather than letting myself heal, I just tried to suppress it because I was so determined to graduate early. I knew I was going to Columbia. Like I just wanted to keep going. And in March of 2019, I had a pre-scheduled jaw surgery, but when I went in for my surgery, I came out paralyzed and the doctors were like, how do you have a jaw surgery, but your legs are paralyzed and nobody knew what happened. I didn't know what happened. I couldn't talk because I had a jaw surgery and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on, but I like, I had to relearn all of my functions, eating, talking, walking, everything. And what came of it is that we realized I had experienced conversion disorder. So essentially I was so explain that. Yeah. So conversion disorder is when you um, convert the psychological stress of a trauma into a physical reaction. So when I went in for surgery and they put me under anesthesia, my body thought I was being attacked again. And so I ended up having nerve damage and having to relearn all of my functions again as if I was paralyzed in that manner. And so I was in a rehab facility um in the hospital. And that's where it really made me want to start this. I always tell people I gave birth to yellow heart committee in a hospital bed because <laughs> one night, like I was sitting there and I had a panic attack because I thought my abuser somehow got in the hospital. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm here paralyzed, relearning everything again. And he just gets to be out there and be free. And I didn't even know this could happen, like conversion disorder. And so I was like, first off, when I could walk again, the first thing I'm doing is going to report him at the police station. And because at that time I hadn't. And then right. um, second, I was, I wanted to start a nonprofit. I was like, I want to raise awareness around mental health because I had no idea that it could, it could grow to this, like this level of, right. Me now sitting in a hospital bed, having to relearn everything. And so that's where it really got started. I remember I had the screenshots when I first texted my friends and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and,
0: and how old were you when you were in the hospital?
1: 20? I was 21 or 22 when that happened. Okay. And so then um, three weeks after I got out the hospital, I did the first day I got out, two hours later, was at the police station and reported everything. My dad had to hear all the details, unfortunately, but he was there by my side every step. Um, and then I started moving. I started calling people. I said, look, this is what we're doing. I'm having a fundraiser and I want to raise the money to get my 511c3. So,
0: <laughs> and, did you, and, did, and It's interesting, did you share your story? Obviously, now you're comfortable, and it's part of your journey, and you're sharing it here. But when you were starting Yellow Heart Committee, I, mean, I mean, that people always want to know, because nonprofit founders, uh, I like to think that you have a torch. Mm-hmm. You're the person with this just fire burning within you with something you care so deeply about, and your job is to light that fire, to light those matches in everybody and build community and connection. But part of inspiring them is telling them what happened to you. Yeah. So, Did you, when you were thinking about this in the hospital, did you realize that was going to be part of your process or, I mean, that must have been not, I mean, that's a very brave thing to do because you're still processing everything yourself. Yeah. And that was something that I really had to deal with
1: is that I knew that if I was going to do this, I was going to have to be open about what happened. And I kind of prepared for that. Like I didn't share when I was in the hospital until maybe about a week in. And then, of course, like everybody's like, oh, we're going to come see you and things like that. But I didn't want to tell people the reason that it happened. But once I found out like this, no, this is what it was. And I said, if I want to be able to make a difference, I have to be vulnerable with my own story. And I'm going to have to speak up and share that this is directly related to this. And so, yes, we also need to combat sexual violence and things like that, but also address the mental and lasting trauma that it has on us. And so I opened myself up to that in terms of I shared my story on social media. I remember when I posted it, I threw my phone and I was like, I don't even want to see it. Like, I just don't even want to know what people are going to be saying.
0: Oh I have goosebumps <laughs> everywhere just thinking yeah. about. How I, brave that is.
1: I'm glad I did it because um, the first fundraiser we did was the Bougie Runch fundraiser. So I had some elected officials there, some other CEOs and things like that. We had 80 people in attendance. It was beautiful. And the whole point was the importance of using your voice. And I remember I told all the speakers I had, I said, do not talk about me. Like, this is not about me. This is about just empowering people to use their voice. And so right. that was the entire theme of the event and everything. And so I definitely... And very, I'm open, but I also don't like it being solely about me, especially in those types of situations. And so right. I, because I'm still dealing with it myself. And I think it happened so soon that I should have gave myself a little bit more time to heal. But I think it was also what I needed to do because so many survivors were DMing me and saying, wow, like, thank you for sharing the fact you reported. Like, how do I do this? And so I saw the short term immediately with those types of messages, but I also right. see long term of like, We've grown to this in two years. And so,
0: I mean, your leadership is unbelievable, but you knew this doesn't just, I mean, there are, um, when you're on the right path and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, doors open up and things just happen and it just keeps going and it fuels you to keep going. But there's, but it's really also very hard work. It's yes. very hard work. And I don't think people understand, um, that nonprofits are businesses that rely on the kindness of others to fuel them. And that is just kind of not the best business model all the time. So talk to me about some of the challenges you've had in the last two years, not the personal challenges, but just the challenges of the, you know, the business it's, it's, it's hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest part I say is finding those that are committed. Um, And so it's a, a whole thing with me because of course people see me and they're like, yes, you're a leader, this and this, but then, I still will get called that, but then not treated in that capacity with that type of respect in terms of like, I am the young one. I am the, I'm also a black woman. I'm also like, you know, it's just like socioeconomic speaking. I'm not the richest person ever. Like, of course I have some privileges that I acknowledge, but, it's not the type that like I could drop a million dollars to like right.
0: grow this. By the start. way, most nonprofit founders are not don't have that either. <laughs> Good to know because you've I've got, got been, youth on your side, my friend. So you've got <laughs> you've got a long runway ahead of you. Most of us aren't aren't as energetic. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so that's also a thing with
1: it is that. It's it's so hard because I'm learning from the ground up just like everybody else, but I'm also learning how to be an adult in the same capacity. So things like, okay, you have to pay your taxes for like nonprofits. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. My parents do that for me. So those types of things are things that I'm having to learn and like, Learn with being an adult and growing up, but also learn in the capacity of like running
0: a non and stuff. Right. You're adulting, you're adulting and you are are learning to be an entrepreneur. I mean yes. and it's, really and
1: hard. Definitely.
0: it's really hard. It's really hard. And and regardless, if you were seventy five, it's really hard. Or sixty five. It's not even being the youngest. I don't think anyone who starts a nonprofit A planned on starting it. Most people don't say you know, I'm going to start a nonprofit when they wait, you know, as a child. That's, you know, they're going to be something, but they're not going to be a nonprofit founder. Things happen just like you, this path that leads us to this place and, and we blindly follow because we know we're being called to do this work yeah. in some way, but we, none of us have any clue what we're doing. <laughs> we just don't. We just, we just don't. So you're in really good company. But we all just figure it out. I mean, who knew you need a 990 for your taxes? But you know, now you do. Now you do. Right and those things like I'm googling. I'm like, what does this word mean? How does this work? Like those are and those are
1: things that like those challenges I'm trying to like get over in a sense of like everybody in the org is looking at me and it's like I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> so you
0: we're know, just with the flow. With and it. that's and that's just how it. That's just how it is. That's how we learn, right? We learn by doing and we figure it out on the way and 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 keep going. But I I say um. That I always use the analogy that the bucket's heavy because when you're the founder or you're the leader or you're the CEO of a company, it doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit or a business at the end of the day, the buck stops with you and you're carrying the bucket yes. and you are juggling a lot of things, mm-hmm. obviously. And we all have lives and friends and all these things that we're juggling and we're trying to help people. Yes. And it's not like we're, manufacturing something and we go to bed at night We're like oh we didn't make enough of that we're thinking we didn't help so and so and so and so or we if we don't make raise enough money how are we going to heal these victims how are we going to help these people Mm -hmm. and so when the when the bucket's heavy and the day is long and it's just more than you can do what fuels you to keep picking it up and going back the individual people, 100%. Um,
1: I would say my team, definitely, like my main volunteer staff, like admin team, I had a really bad day because I had, well, so giving context, um, my nonprofit, everybody's unpaid right now. And so because we right. need to learn the funding parts and all of that. So we all have full-time jobs, full-time students, you know, one now is a full-time parent, just had a baby a couple of weeks ago. And so... It's definitely we have our days where I had a really rough day at work because I also work at the Boys and Girls Club. And I called my team and I was just like, y'all, like, I can't do this. Like, I just need to tell you what's been going on for me. And I got it all out. They let me cry. And they said, all right, what are we doing next? How are we going to solve this? And it's just like knowing that they I can have those moments of vulnerability and be like, this is what's going on in my life and I need support. And they have my back and they're like, okay, so what do you need us to do to keep this nonprofit going? Like, how can we support you? And so those individual people in terms of my team is what I, I love and it feels to me to keep me going, but also survivors who reach out to me in times of crisis. Um, I'm learning to do boundaries because what's my problem is that I get over invested because I hear their story and I want to support them. But, um, definitely it's just like the fact that people come to me with even saying like, I need help. And I know you're the person who knows how to point in that direction. Uh Two days ago, I had a survivor DM me on Twitter. And she was like, my boyfriend just did this to me. I don't know what to do. I need help. And and my first question was, who's there? Who's your support team? She said she didn't have anybody besides her parents and her parents don't know the full extent of what happened to her. I went to her house immediately after work and my dude never talked to this woman, really nothing. And it's just like, I sat there and just let her cry and get it out because I said, I had a community behind me and I could not imagine doing that alone. And you need to have Mm -hmm. someone there. And so to see her face light up when I, she opened the door and actually saw me there is what reminds mm. me of why we do this work. Like, I don't know you. You barely know me, but I know a survivor who needs support, and I'm going to sit here with you and let you cry, and that's okay. And those are the things that really keep me going. <laughs> it's just fine wow. not to get hyper-invested.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and, and I think that that's the biggest challenge because at the end of the day, there's always going to be more people that need your help yes. than that you can help.
1: Yeah, and the and- whole age thing doesn't help sometimes. Cause I'm like, oh gosh, like you're asking me to do something that I'm like out of my wheelhouse. I had to help somebody because their brother got taken by ICE, and I literally sat there for five hours calling like congressional staffers I knew, city people I knew, like any nonprofits to just get them that support. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah
0: there there's a moment where you have to realize and i think it's one of the hardest moments um and and they and they happen a lot they don't happen sporadically it comes up over and over because we we can't help everyone we do yeah. we give everything we have to the point that we that we can and then there's a point where we have to say ah, i i i I've got nothing or, yeah. I, or I'm empty. I need to refuel. I mean, I think that that's another thing that happens a lot to nonprofit founders is that we, we burnout. have a real, we have a real burnout capacity because we are energizer bunnies. We go hard to the paint and then we hit a wall and we just crash and we have nothing.
1: Yes.
0: And I think
1: it's, that burnout is something that I've been trying to combat. Um, and like how you were brought up about like, you know, when it first happened, it was so fresh and telling your story. And so, it was a couple of weeks, I think, after I had did the bougie brunch fundraiser and I spoke like I opened up for Kamala Harris at the California Democratic Convention. And so I was sharing my story. It's awesome. Like Congrats. It was super great. But then where I realized is that I
0: share my story, but I'm not dealing with it. And I think that it's 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 um fascinating because service heals us and we're doing this thing to heal us, and yet you're still in an environment where you can be triggered and, and not necessarily the one that you were in, but you know, every time you hear a story or every time you're working with, with people, I mean, you're making yourself vulnerable also. So there's, there's a balance there that I think a lot of us walk, um, because we start these nonprofits because something happened to us or something happened to someone we loved and we're determined for it not to happen to the next person. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, we kind of work in this this boundary space where service fuels us and it heals us. And we know we're doing the right thing and we know we're called to do it. And yet it's kind of a danger zone. We walk kind of on the, you know, we walk kind of on the edges of things that could, that can, you know, really set us off. It's the same thing is dealing with those triggers and like setting
1: up those safety precautions. Like when I went to go help that woman who um, was assaulted and everything, I had to get in that mindset. Like I was like, okay, You know what you're about to hear is going to be tough. And like, are you okay to handle that? And I knew I did because I knew what I was walking into and it wasn't just like out of nowhere, like with that homophobic attack. It's just like, gosh, like announcing blood triggered this and this. And like, I just had to react because I want to protect my friend and everybody there. I'm not
0: there mentally yet to have done that in that moment. Right. Wow. So you guys are new. I mean, 2 years is kind of babyish, which is good. You're toddler. You're yeah. you're just walking. You're going to be running soon. You're getting really close. You're taking off. So, and and I hate the word um I really don't like the word impact. It's just kind of a word that I struggle with. Uh but people want to know and our listeners want to know and donors want to know you know where you find success whether it's a story whether it's numbers people that you've served whether it's whatever you think that is but how would you define kind of your impact or your success um for people that because they want to they want to give their money they want to invest in something that they you know they believe in So what would you what would you say your impact is
1: yeah, of course. So um, I was just saying that we're the connectors, definitely. We bring the people who are the decision makers and the survivors to the table. And so uh, as I was saying is that in six months, we met with 44 elected official offices or the elected official themselves to advocate for our sexual and domestic violence task force, uh, task force legislation that we wrote. Um, and So we're introducing that in California, working to get a federal level hearing and then also having a state level hearing this September um, on mental health and trauma at the Capitol in California. And so we definitely bring those people who can make those decisions to the table to hear the stories of survivors. And that's the bridge that we really see ourselves, like the young people who are holding them accountable, but also making sure that we're not speaking for the survivor. We're letting them say their piece to them. And so with that connection, also we had over 23 partners that we cultivated in that year, whether it was in events, collaborating, all of those, um, you know, bringing in those outside groups and their expertise to teach us the new, you know, kids on the block who don't know much about this. And so we're making sure that we're taking the steps necessary to always be doing the best for the survivors in terms of like education, terminology, everything. We want to make sure it's by the book and that we're helping and not hurting more so. And so I would say our ability to connect is what really is inspirational for us and what I think people should appreciate about us the most. Um, and then also our able, our ability to convey a story. We had over 4,000 views and attendees to our events last year, um, whether it's through our campaigns online, our virtual events, or just in general, like, uh, watching our content. And so seeing that kind of impact and like, we don't have any money. We're all doing this out of literal volunteer efforts is, is really what it
0: makes us who we are. That's, that's, Ridiculously impressive. Okay, so you mentioned UCLA and Columbia, and I have to just go back, because when you're writing legislation and you're working with 44 legislators and you're 24 years old, and I say that as a compliment, there there must be a missing piece here. Were you going to go to law school? Did you go to law school? Is there where like that that intersection there's there's something missing here so talk to me because i feel like i'm missing a piece of this puzzle i have no aspirations for law school whatsoever i cannot
1: i i love policy that's like what really gets me going um so at ucla i um started doing work in education my research was conducted in that so i ended up developing ethnic studies uh curriculum Uh, While I was there, but while I was there, I also had to deal with a very racist professor. And so going through that whole process and realizing that a lot of the issues that were being brought into the classroom was because of lack of education from diversity and things like that. I said, one, I don't want my sister going through this, so I'm going to make my own curriculum. (laughs) So It led me down the path of really being interested in education policy. And so I had always had that whole policy angle. I was part of youth commission growing up, so I had already been serving my city, you know, started my own organization there. I was always interested in politics, interning, things like that. And so it made sense that when I went to Columbia, my degree was an education policy because that's like the perfect intersection for me. Policy work, education and kids and knowing I'm making an impact, but also being able to get more educated on issues of like diversity and equity. And so it's never been law school for me. That is a fact. Okay.
0: <laughs> so One fascinating. Of your- <laughs> okay. Well, I I knew there was, because I mean, I love it. I think that um and I, I I hate to speak for a collective group of nonprofit founders, but sometimes I find myself feeling like the representative. Um, but most of us, you know, we're creating community and connection at a small local level. We're, I always say, like, we're the mom and pop hardware store, you know, we're not Home Depot. We're yeah. like the little neighborhood store that you go to get, you know, the bucket, the mop, the hammer, or whatever you need. That's what local nonprofits do. They create small community. We don't always think when we're solving the problems of humanity – We don't always think about taking it. We might think about, oh, maybe I want to go to a bigger community. I want to help more people. But we don't always think big picture with policy. We don't always think about how do I solve the bigger, you know, the bigger problem. And so I think it's so impressive and so um, exciting that you are at this grassroots level looking at really big picture change for the problem you're trying to solve. Definitely.
1: I mean, legislation has always been a priority of me and of mine in general, because it's just like I can see what a simple law can do to impact somebody's life long term. And so that's why I made it an effort that. Policy is going to be a big part of what we do because we need to be able to advocate and educate people also on what is a law and what protections that they're offered. And so it's for me, I want to make sure that we're not just putting a bandaid over the issue. Like, OK, we're holding a healing event. But also, how do we make sure that this doesn't keep happening? And so that's right. policy change. And that's why it's so passionate about like you need to hold them accountable
0: and they need to know that there are people out here advocating for survivors. That is so smart. It's just so smart. Of course, you're a four oh student. It's just a smart idea. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, if you could dream any dream for the Yellow Heart Committee, what what does that look like? You're a big dreamer, I can tell, and you're a doer of what
1: I always my biggest dream is that I want to have a community built around survivors and not in the sense of like oh virtual community I need a literal physical housing community that is my goal <laughs> I wow. want a development that allows them to go for long term to heal from whatever traumas. and I'm not just talking about of course sexual or physical or things I'm talking about queer people who are dealing with identity and being disowned or anybody who may be transitioning or disabilities I I want a space where people could live in a community and not have to worry about those outside factors and prejudices and everything else that they may endure, or even their safety in a sense. Like, we know a lot of survivors end up becoming, you know, victims of police brutality because they don't know how to handle when they're interacting with survivors. And so, I just really like my, dri- my big dream is to find a land somewhere. Of course, that's how the money is zoning and all that. That right, right, right. we can create a community for people to truly heal as a whole person. and and not just solve one problem. So that is my biggest dream.
0: <laughs> wow. I love that. That's a big one. I love that. I <laughs> love that. Well, you are a woman with a mission. Do you have a motto for your mission? Do you have something that like words that you kind of say that shook your catchphrase or something that just kind of inspires you that you go is kind of a go to thing? Or do you not? Do you have that? Or do you not have that? I do. Shirley
1: Chisholm. um, So she said that they don't have a seat at the table. Bring a folding chair. And (laughs) that is me 100 percent because my friends will tell you I am the first one to speak up and be like, you're not going to cut me off. I'm speaking. You're going to hear what I have to say. A table full of men who are trying to disregard me. I don't play that. So I just Uh... like, oh, you don't have a chair for me. Don't worry. I'll sit right here or I'll stand and I'll sit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, you are, um, you are young, which is so fantastic, but there you have had really, I mean, even starting at 12 years old, losing your mom, you have really had some life lessons and, (laughs) and that are only going to serve you well in resilience and grit and tenacity. And, and obviously she's watching your mother is guiding all this, I am sure. Um, but what lessons have you learned so far from this experience? You've really I, I think you're also an old soul and and I think that you are wise and I, I you've already shared wisdom, but I'd love to, for you to share with our listeners some of the things you've learned on this this journey that you've been on. That's so funny. I was told that recently that I was an old soul and I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. It means that you're wise. You're wise beyond your years, and that and that definitely is very apparent. Thank you. I mean And it's a, and it's the ultimate compliment in my opinion. Thank
1: I would say things that I've
0: definitely learned
1: of recently is the hard lessons. Um and I say that not to be like, you know, dampening the mood or anything, but in a sense that like with like you said, adulting and learning like how people can truly be and how people put on fronts and take advantage. And that's something that I've really had to learn in the space is that people are going to see me as that, the bright-eyed, naive girl who's just, like, has this vision and wants to help people but doesn't understand the people who are, the snakes that are lurking in the garden. essentially. Right. And that's something that I really had to kind of come to terms with and learn about, and that was hard. I mean, um, in terms of, like, I put my trust in so many people, and I'm I'm not the type of person that, like, I should probably be where you should earn my trust. But I'm like a person that just gives trust. <laughs> and so that's something right. that I, I need to learn that it's not okay to always do that because people are going to take advantage of that trust that you have and right. take advantage of you sharing your openness, your story, your vulnerability and use it against you. And so that's where I've had to learn to be careful about like, yes, I may think I know you, but do I truly know you enough to be able to be open and share hardships or share what we're doing or our plans and so that's something that i've been working through i would definitely say lessons i learned is trusting but being careful about who you trust and Mm -hmm. giving that your all
0: and then of course it's like vulnerability but making sure i'm protecting myself still too Right. I think that those are very good lessons. And then how do you think you've changed? I mean, do you think that you've, I mean, obviously you're, you're growing up, you're adulting, you're working full time, you're running a nonprofit on the side, you've got a lot going on. Um, but do you think you've changed in just even the few years you've been doing this work? I do. And I would say my self-awareness has changed. I definitely think that
1: I'm more conscious of not just my own experiences, but also how my words or my actions or anything can impact others. And something that's really been a big thing of mine is that I was talking with my partner about this and telling him that we may want to judge somebody right away. But let's think about why they're acting the way they're acting. Let's go deeper than Mm -hmm. just seeing the immediate reaction but wonder what trauma happened for why they're reacting. Right. <laughs> That's not something that I, two years ago, would have been conscious of. And I think that I'm more in touch with who I am in terms of like, why am feeling a certain way or how I need to react to situations, but also being more empathetic to people and realizing that it's intent versus impact. Like the intention may not have been to hurt, but the impact may have hurt somebody. And so right. being aware of those types of things has really been something that I have grown and changed. And I think maturity is also just been coming along, too.
0: <laughs> Obviously, you have that in spades. You have that in spades, Adia. Well, I do think that people that are hurting hurt. And I think that um, to be wise enough to recognize that um, is, is really to take a – to rather react to – anger or, but to really say, why are they hurting? Why are they doing this? I think that that is a lesson that all of us, um, can learn. And I think for us to pause and think something's happening there and it might have nothing, it might not have anything to do with me, nothing at all, but something's happening there. So I, I think that that is, um, a very, very wise lesson. So, we want to learn how we can support the Yellow Heart Committee, where we can go to find you, how can we volunteer? How can we send people to you? How can we donate? Follow you on social media. Give it to us. Give us give oh, it give it all.
1: So our biggest one right now is funding. We okay. need so many <laughs> individual donors, all of those terms that I'm now learning <laughs> yes. what we, is what we definitely need. Um, I would say our biggest is that we are so big on mentors and being connected to the right people. So in that capacity, I mean that in people who specialize in certain areas of nonprofit, just having a Zoom call with us to explain like, hey, I want you to be aware of this or, hey, this is how you structure this. Like those calls are so golden to us because we are young and we are figuring it out. But it's so great when we know that we have mentors in other spaces that are going to be able to advise us on how to make sure this is legal and, you know, doing right. the right thing. And so I love meeting other nonprofits who are willing to be that guide for us. And so anybody who has advice or even
0: just feedback. I'm <laughs> signing up. I'm signing up. <laughs> I want to be a mentor. I want to be a mentor.
1: We love having mentors and so and other ways to support us too is um we're always looking for therapists who want to volunteer or social workers as well who want to volunteer their time with people um so our newest project, which is called community pulses and it's therapy with the unhoused um it's at city church in fairfield and so community pulses we're bringing social workers and then hopefully therapists in a bit um and to do uh group therapy and individual therapy with the unhoused population there and so We want to continue this project, we want to do it in other places as well, but we need more support because we have a group of about 40 people and only four social workers right now, and it's way too high capacity, but we want to just at least get something going there, and so any support in terms of people interested in volunteering, we would take that, and to be able to volunteer with our programs, and we also have our internships and, you know, looking for directors of development, grant writers, all of those all through our website. So, um, yellowheartcommittee.org. Uh, the sign up is there. Everything's there listed and also to donate is also there and uh, to sign up for reoccurring donations is there. So everything is really centralized on our website, but. Also heavily promoting our um, Instagram. A lot of our content, in terms of like educational material, will go on there. Um, okay. We have our campaigns there, our events, all of that is on our social media and, and our. And what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, Yellow Heart Committee and then underscore. And then is your Facebook?
0: Yes, you our Facebook? Facebook is not as active. You know, the younger generation okay. yeah, got a little. I know. I I, I get that. Okay. Well, I've never met a Johnson that I don't think is fantastic. And obviously I've met another one that's just as great. You, Nadia, you are just a breath of fresh air. You are so inspiring. You, I love what you are doing. And I, I really, I just think for you to take, um, all these crazy things that have happened to you at a very early age and to turn them into positive, take that pain and use it for purpose. Um, and to make the world a better place with all you are doing is just so inspiring. You are such a bright light. You are a gift. And I'm just so grateful that you shared your work with the Yellow Heart Committee with us today. And thank you. Thank you so much.
1: I love this. I really enjoyed talking to you. I see how you say, like, it could go over time. <laughs> Oh, so
0: to to. <laughs> it's just it's so much fun and and stories are what bring us together right it's what creates community and connection and 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 I've just loved having that time with you so thank you thank you so much yes I enjoyed this thank you so much Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters Podcast. I so enjoy talking to our guest, Nadia Johnson, about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives. I think her comment about her actions and words having impacts on others was so wise and inspirational. To learn more about modern day heroes like Nadia, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com. Or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we'd love this if you shared it with your friends and family. And feel free to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Those don't hurt either. But remember, more importantly, is together we can make a difference. One small act of kindness at a time. See you next time.